there's sliding doors through your whole life. And, and I've always said that, you know, you will come across those sliding doors that open, but you don't actually have to walk through them. You get to choose whether you walk through that door or not. Welcome to the Get Invested podcast, where we share great conversations with experts from all walks of life to uncover their secret know-how and where they invest their time, their skills, and their money, and the benefits that this has created. You see, the truth is that everyone invests. Every minute of every day, we're investing our time, our skills, our energy, and our money in something. Some of us are investing consciously, some unconsciously, sometimes for good, sometimes for bad, sometimes for no impact. Get Invested will help you to start living by design, not by default. I'm going to help you to make it happen, not let it happen. You will hear the top tips on how you can live with conscious intent so that you can live more, work less, and leave a living legacy by investing now. Listen to the show to discover the top tips on how to get started, make the most of your investment journey, and ultimately to be living your dream, not someone else's. More episodes can be found on iTunes or at bushymartin.com.au forward slash get invested. Thanks for listening. And now let's get invested. Hi, Freedom Fighters. Have you had sliding door moments in your life? You know, those tiny, seemingly inconsequential moments at the time that can alter the trajectories of your life. For those of you who haven't seen the 1998 movie Sliding Doors, which popularised that term, it's a story that alternates between two storylines, showing the two paths that Gwyneth Paltrow's character Helen takes, depending on whether or not she catches a train. We get to see how her life plays out in both scenarios like parallel universes. If you have had a sliding door moment, where a situation or a choice you need to make can knowingly or unknowingly take your life in different directions, were you aware of it? And how did you respond? Let me share a couple of my most memorable and impactful sliding door moments. The first, when I met my now wife, Sonia, and I instantly felt deep down, almost viscerally at an unconscious level, that we were going to be joined at the hip and we were meant to travel life together even though I wasn't mentally aware of it at the time. My second sliding door moment occurred when a mate of mine reluctantly convinced us to attend a Robert Kiyosaki conference in Adelaide way back in 1997, and a light bulb went off. It's what I now call my Kiyosaki moment. I'll never forget his words when he said that the moment you make passive income a part of your life, your life will change. It totally resonated we instantly realised that we needed to get invested by creating an income that didn't rely on us, so we had the free time to really enjoy the life we were dreaming of. And overnight, we became what I call passive-aggressive. We became aggressive about creating passive income. And from that day on, everything we've done in property and our businesses has been built around the philosophy of creating passive income value growth assets. On both these occasions, I saw the world completely differently from that moment on. And they've both been life-changing and led us on the exciting path that we now enjoy today. You see, for me, sliding door moments are those situations in your life where you get to make a choice. And deep down in your gut, below your logical conscious mind, you just know that those decisions are going to be life-changing. So what about you? 
What have been your sliding door moments? Did you catch the train or miss the train? Once you were exposed to another way of viewing the world, what did you do about it? Well, unfortunately for a lot of us in our current logical, science-based and evidence-based world, the fear and safety of the conservative head often overrides the deep gut feeling and instinctive, intuitive knowing of the heart. Those situations where you just know it's right, but your head won't let you do it, and you're off for maintaining the status quo because it's better the devil you know than the devil you don't. Where fear of the unknown makes a change seem risky when you aren't sure where it's going to lead. But here's the thing. In my view, the only thing worse than not knowing something important is knowing something important and then not doing anything about it. It's almost a crime. Retreating to the apparent safety of what we know, many of us continue to make the same key choices and decisions over and over again until we've suffered enough to wake up and make new ones. Enter your sliding door moment. Over the course of our lifetime, we have thousands of opportunities to alter our path, some leading us to positive outcomes and others to negative, but each key decision offers opportunities for growth. And as we move through life, key decisions remain as a form of protection, safety, comfort, and often security. And the more we value comfort and security, the less likely we are to create change. Now, one of my favourite Tony Robbins quotes is, the path of least resistance is the path of pain. Beginning with a pivotal sliding door moment now may lead you to your greatest life adventure of all. Like me 20 years ago, maybe you've been thinking about investing in property for years, but there's always been something or some reasons why you just have never quite taken the sliding door step onto the property train. This has been exactly the case with today's guest, Sam Buckby, who will explain in our great conversation why he's almost invested in property over 20 times over the last decade or so. Now, Sam's a great bloke. He's an author, a podcaster, a speaker, a consultant, an electrical expert, and a guru at using intelligent design to create a more simple life. Sam's the owner and founder of Buckby Electrical, the creative mind behind smarter buildings, and the host of his hot new podcast show, Spaces. He has over 20 years' experience in electrical contracting, functional design, and the built environment. Sam also manages a highly successful contracting business that has shown uh, continual growth for many years, and he's even appeared on the hit house renovation TV show, The Block. Through his whole working life, He's seen the evolution of technology become part of our everyday lives, but he wants to see our built environment evolve so that advanced functionality isn't just simple, but it's the norm. Sam's the expert when it comes to designing the functionality of -of state-of-the-art buildings and has written a book on the topic called Homes with a Heartbeat. But what I like most about Sam is that he puts life's big rocks of family, friends, fitness and health first and the rest of his life just fills in the gaps. He lives a great lifestyle of his own design. So if you're like Sam, and you've been thinking about investing for ages, but you've never quite got around to it, then today could be your sliding door moment. So I challenge you to reach out to me at bushy at khgroup.com.au with the header 
sliding door moment and join me on our Freedom Flight video webinar education series so you have all the information you need to make a fully informed sliding door decision. And in the meantime, enjoy this great conversation with Sam Buckby. Welcome back, Freedom Fighters. And I'm really looking forward to catching up with today's guest. And I'm doing that because ever since I started getting vested, I've been wanting to get him on the show. Why? Because he's one of the most generous people I've come across. And his insights are always straight to the point and right on the money. Now, I first met him during the KPI, Key Person of Influence Business Accelerator Program a few years back, where he went above and beyond to help me without any benefit to himself or expecting anything in return. And I'll never forget it. I respect and admire him because, one, he's got his shit together, two, he's got his priorities right, and three, he walks his talk. So welcome, and let's get invested, Sam Buckby. Thanks, Bushy. Thanks for having me on. No, I've been looking forward to it for ages, mate. So um, uh, always had a lot of respect for the way you operate, mate, uh, both as a person and with what you do in the world. So, mate, uh, for those listening who don't know you, who you are, can you sort of just start by telling us who you are, what you do, and where you're currently heading, buddy? Sure, sure. I guess, like a lot of people these days, it's not uh, not as pigeonholed as, as what it used to be, but I'm an electrician by trade, believe it or not, sort of going back to when I started my apprenticeship quite some time ago, but since then, I'm, I'm now the business owner. Um, I've got a couple of businesses. I've got an electrical contracting business called Buckby Electrical, which has been running for, I think we're in our 16th year. Um, nice. Yeah. Uh, and I've also got a consultancy business called Smarter Buildings. We're in the same industry, in the construction industry, but we work with sort of architects and building designers to better use technology to create more highly functional automated spaces, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and then sort of outside of that, I, I do a bit of speaking. Um, I am the author of a book called Homes with a Heartbeat. And I'm also a podcaster as well, because, uh, you know, I think you and I are very similar in the fact that we we enjoy talking turkey and podcasting is a great way to uh, make an excuse to turn that into a, a business decision. So. <laughs> Mate, you've you've given the secret away there, Sam. I know. <laughs> I just love talking to people, mate, and if I can uh, record it and, and share it with others, then what a bargain. And I should probably say the podcast is called Spaces and it's, it's all about uh, thinking about space differently. And, and creative spaces that, you know, inspire people to, to do whatever it is they're trying to do, whether it's live or work or, or what have you. Yeah, and I'm going to dive into that a little bit later on, mate, because it's, we've got a joint passion for exactly that. But uh, before we sort of do a walk through your history, why do you do what you do, mate? Mm, I guess the easy answer is that there's sliding doors through your whole life and and I've always said that, you know, you will come across those sliding doors that open, but you don't actually have to walk through them. You get to choose whether you walk through that door or not. And I guess, you know, it's been a lot of those moments in my life. And, and I still remember uh, I left school at the ripe old age of 15 um, on request from, from the teaching staff and, and management of the school. <laughs> I don't think we need to go down there, but I was a... I was a um, a rebellious kid, I suppose you would say. I, I was—I wasn't 
a bad kid. I was never in trouble with police or anything like that. I never did anything that was, you know, incriminating in any way. I just uh, like to do things my own way. And, and back in the uh, 90s, that wasn't congruent with, with how schools worked. Yeah. So the easier choice was for me to go out and, and get a job. And my dad won't mind me saying this. I still remember sitting in the, the principal's office on, on what was to be my last day of school. And the principal and the assistant principal, and there was another another teacher there. I can't, it's quite some time ago. I can't remember. And they sort of said, look, Sam, it's... We're only a quarter of the way through the year. Um, if you stick it out for the rest of the year, you're probably still going to fail. I went, oh, okay. I said, your attendance is down. You know, you're not handing assignments in. You're not doing this. You're not doing that. You're really not sort of, you know, subscribing to the school system. Yeah. So we think you should reconsider, um, you know, what you want to do in the short term. So I turned to my dad who was sitting next to me. My dad is a, uh, you know, my dad was a flat-out hippie back in the, the 60s and 70s, very easygoing sort of, you know, love life kind of guy. Yeah. And I said to dad, I said, well, what do you reckon I should do? Because I was only 15 and, you know, whilst you think you know everything, when you get put on the spot, you realise you don't. Yeah. And uh, dad turns to me and he goes, oh, I've been meaning to, uh, to tell you something for quite some time. He goes, I think now's probably the right time. And I'm like, oh, shit, it's a big moment. What, what's going on, Dad? And he goes, I did year 10 and failed. He goes, I went back and I did year 10 a second time. He goes, I bloody failed. He goes, so I went back and I did it a third time. And I got halfway through the year and I cut my losses and left. He goes, I wasted two and a half years of my life. <laughs> so cut to the chase. I, yeah, I, go on, mate. I yep. read between the lines and I looked at the principal and I said, if you don't mind, I might leave. <laughs> 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 what do you, were the teachers expecting you to say, oh, no, no, I'm going to pull my finger out and, and, and yes, sir, no, sir, three bags full, sir? Or do you think they were hoping to actually show the handle on the door on the way out? Uh, I, I think the door might have hit me on the back as I walked out. <laughs> where did that sort of rebellion, is it a rebellious streak or were you just bored out of your brain? Yeah, no one's ever put it that way, but I think you're probably right. I was probably bored. Um, I don't know. I did a lot when I was young. I grew up in a in a small sort of coastal town. Down, I'm not far from where I think you are now, over the other side of the bay. I was in Queenscliff and Point Lonsdale is where I sort of yeah. grew up. And okay. I guess I always I always found something to do that was a bit more interesting than school. So I played a lot of sport. Um, I'll get into it a bit later, but I started working at a real young age. Like I was I was earning decent money by the age of probably you know eleven or twelve years old. Yeah. Um, and I, was, I had a lot of freedom to sort of do, you know, I was probably a, a little bit big for my britches, a bit too mature for what I should have been because I had a bit of freedom with money, a freedom with time, and, and I wasn't going to school a hell of a lot, so I had lots of time. But <laughs> I guess, yeah, I got to school and, and that um, feel, feeling a bit caged in and not having that freedom to, to sort of do what I wanted, I guess, just wasn't synonymous with, with you know, my personality. And, yeah, you know, it, it made me rebel, which... I have a little bit of regret about just something, you know, I probably See, why? could have been a lot. Why, mate? Oh, I just think I probably could have been more respectful. I don't I don't think that I needed to change who I was, mm-hmm. but I just think I probably could have shown, you know, some people a bit more respect who, you know, they were just there doing their job and they were trying to get the best out of the kids and, and you know, I was probably just a bit steadfast in, in my way, which is, which is fine, but, you know... <laughs> Respect is, it, is a big part of my whole methodology these days. It's you know, whenever I'm 
dealing with people, it's you know respect is a big part of that. So yeah, um, maybe maybe I learnt it the hard way. Yeah, okay, okay. Well, let, let's let's wind back a little bit there uh, as we sort of start the journey. You mentioned that you're working at eleven or twelve. What, what were you doing then, mate? That was giving you the good coin. Yeah, I mean, we weren't a, an overly well-to-do family. We all had to work pretty hard. My parents had a milk bar um, that we grew up in a house out the back of the milk bar. So I was working, you know, in the milk bar okay. occasionally. I'm not sure, I, to be honest, I'm not sure whether I got paid for that part, but you know, there was a uh, a responsibility to, to work in the family milk bar. But then I did have, I think I picked up my first paper round, which I don't believe they do paper rounds anymore for an insurance point of view. But, you know, back in the day, kids got on their push bikes and rode around throwing papers over people's front fences, trying not to break windows. And uh, I think I got my first one when I was maybe grade three or four. So I was probably only 10 years old, something like that. And I'd yeah. get up at 5.30 in the morning and, head down to the news agents and load up with, you know, as many papers as I could fit in the milk crate that was cable tied to the front of my bike and <laughs> drive around and throw them around. And then I remember an opportunity came up for, you know, a kid There was – it's a long time ago. I think there was four paper rounds in Queenscliff. You know, it was set into quadrants, the, the town. Yeah. And yeah. and one kid sort of said he was going to stop doing it. And I said to the news agent, I said, well, I'll do that one as well. So instead of starting at 5.30, I'll just start at 5 and I'll bowl them both over and I'll get twice as much money. <laughs> so I did that for, for a while. And then oh, going back again, there was, there was there was an afternoon newspaper once upon a time. So then after school, I used to go back down the news agents and I'd load up with the afternoon edition of the Herald Sun and I'd ride around town throwing that around as well. And then in the holidays, um, I used to finish my two morning paper rounds in the school holidays and I'd ride down to the caravan park and, and sell them, you know, just ride around the caravan park okay. selling them. Yep. And I think at one point, I think I was I was still in primary school. I was probably 11 or 12 years old. And I remember I was earning about 120, 130 bucks a week as a as a 11 year old back in the, you know, early 90s. Man, it was yeah. It was a lot of money. I it's I, I, I'm hard to put context around that, but I remember. You know, on any given week, I could just go down and buy myself a new pair of shoes, and it didn't even put a dent in what I was making. So, yeah, yeah, um, it was but a bit of freedom. Man. It was good. Let's talk about the inspiration for doing that, because uh, did did mum or dad say you better get out there and earn some pocket money, Sam? Or where did the the motivation to to go and grab a paper round come from? Can you remember? Yeah, look, I think it was a bit of that. I think you know, my dad would. Have, my dad was always a hard worker. Um, whilst he's a very easygoing personality, very very hard worker, and he, um, there would have been. I can't remember it specifically, but there, there certainly would have been a lot of encouragement there to yeah. do that. But then, as we didn't have you know a hell of a lot of money, it was just a way for me to be able to you know when I, a few other kids were getting the new footy boots every winter, and I couldn't afford new footy boots as a yeah. you know ten year old. I'd be using my brother's, my older brother's footy boots from two seasons prior. Yeah. If I went out and got a job, it meant I could go buy new footy boots, you know, and yeah, and you know, maybe when you're young, you don't really know what's going on. Maybe it was a bit of keeping up with the Joneses, but um, you know, it was just nice to be able to be, you know, not self-sufficient at the age of eleven, but but certainly have a, a level of independence that um, you know you probably wouldn't expect from many kids these days. That's for sure. Mm, and and sort of discovering very early that uh, having uh, disposable money that you can put towards what you want to do, there is a level of freedom that goes yeah. in that. Was, that. was that a seed that sort of uh, had sort of continued through uh, in terms of your attitude to money and, and relationship with money uh, ongoing, mate? 
Yeah, I think so. Look, I'm not a money-driven person. I never have been, never will be, but um, I am a very independent person who likes to make their own sort of decisions around what they're doing. And, and I, I still remember, you know, I think it was a, a matter of days after I'd left school at the age of 15, I, I landed a job that was, you know, arguably one of the best jobs I ever had. It was um, doing lighting for TV commercials. Nice. So you sort of get get on site, and I was, I was just a... Uh, uh, assistant of sorts, you know, there was a lighting technician there and I just got yeah. there and, and basically unrolled extension leads and packed up and I just loved it. I loved being, um, you know, out of the confines of school. I loved getting around to multiple sites and, you know, working in different places every day. You know, I loved being able to get paid for actually getting up in the morning and, and you know, that working hard and then getting that paycheck at the end of the week and it's a very, very different mindset to going to school mm-hmm. um and you know I, i've never looked back from from that point and i i'd like to think i'm a i'm a hard worker i've probably restructured my life you know in the last 10 years quite significantly so i'm not working as much but i got to say i'm not doing nothing i'm not sitting on my ass and i get time to watch netflix that's for sure <laughs> so. well let's let's continue the journey mate so you you started as the assistant lighting guy uh, where did that lead to? What did you What did you learn from that, and, and where did that? What was the next step? Yeah, well, I actually received some fairly sage advice from my boss at the time, Bruce. He uh, he was a lighting technician, and what he was finding in the industry, and this is probably mid nineties, ninety six, I think. Yeah, he was finding that the industry was just pivoting slightly because what had happened up until that point is there was lighting technicians and then there'd actually be an electrician on site as well who was there for an emergency because they're paying big dollars for, you know, some of the, the venues they're hiring for TV commercials or, you know, they sometimes they're having to shut down streets and things like this to do these shoots and there's a lot of money tied up in that. Yeah. So they'd always make sure that they had the right people on site to make sure that everything went uh, fluently and, and they would have an electrician on site for if there was ever any reasons. And then a number of these electricians started doing the lighting um, and sort of doubling up. And he was finding that his work was drying up ever so slightly because he was getting um, sort of outtended by by the contractors that could kill two birds with one stone. Yeah. And he said to me, I'd worked for him for probably a year or maybe a fraction longer, and he said, oh, look, he goes, well, I'm going to give you a bit of advice. He goes, I recommend you go and do an electrical apprenticeship. He goes, because I know you love working here, and, and he goes, I'm just not sure – what my use-by date is in the industry, and it, you know, a lot of the people who are now getting into it are electricians. So maybe go spend four years doing your apprenticeship and then come back and, and who knows. Mm. And I sort of remember taking that advice home and, and thinking it was a good idea. So I, I sat on it for a while. So I was probably only 16 at the time. Yeah. I didn't start my apprenticeship till I was 18. I, I fluffed around. I, I did what 16 and 17-year-olds do and I um, – I found girls at alcohol and, <laughs> and and all those things that are that are you know top of the list at that age. Yeah, um, hasn't changed much, has it, mate? <laughs> oh, no, I'd like I jest, I jest. Single, single girl these days. Yeah. And, well, That's right, same here. But um, yeah, I, I think by the time I was I was eighteen, I, you know, there was a couple of life lessons there around just making sure that I started to think about the future slightly. Um, yeah. Certainly wasn't. You know, the most important part of me, but I did have to start thinking about it. And so I, I went out and landed uh, an apprenticeship with a, a local contractor and, 
And I guess that's where my journey started into the industry that I've spent, you know, the most part of my life in. I'm 30, how old am I? 38 years old. Um, So I've been in the industry for for 20 years. And I guess a lot changes, you know, week on week, year on year. So the the, the original concept of of going into the uh, electrical industry to do a four-year apprenticeship to go back to lighting probably faded away really quickly. Um, yeah. You know, suddenly I was I was in the electrical industry. We were doing projects that I loved. I, you know, I was enjoying work, and I never really thought to go back to the industry. And then I finished my my apprenticeship, and I loved it. And I did amazingly. Um, you know, I was very very good at trade school. You know, I was I would I'd always nail every prac and every exam and you know I was very good at school and you know I had a lot of people sort of say to me how is it that you failed so badly at high school but you're one of the best students we've ever had at trade school Mm, what was your answer to that well I could never answer it at the time because I was young and dumb but now I (laughs) now I think back um you know I I was actually invested in it I I I enjoyed my time there I you know I saw the future in it I, I saw what was in it for me and so I was happy to apply myself yeah. Whereas I just didn't have that connection when I was at high school. Well, I can, you can sort of understand that. A lot of the stuff, if, you, if you're doing, you know, reading, writing, arithmetic, you're going, what relevance has this got to the real world? Yeah. Whereas yeah. what you're doing at trade school, which is actually hands-on doing the do, it'd be like, yeah, I'm loving this. I can really, I can really see where this is going to be handy. It's, a, it's a, probably more an indictment of the education system than it is of your abilities, mate, in, in all honesty. Yeah. And then I, I, I think I was only about, I was only about one year after my apprenticeship. So I'd finished my apprenticeship. I'd worked for about another year, and I'd, I'd registered, you know, an ABN. I'd become a subcontractor, and I'd gone out and I'd done a, what's called the the con, like the registered electrical contracting course. So you can yeah. have your own business going forward. You're sort of licensed to trade. Yeah. It's different to what is your electrical license. It's a, it's basically a license to trade. Yeah. So I'd gone out and done that with no specific time frame around. When it is, I might start a business, but I just kind of thought, no, I, I want to have this ready to go for if the time ever comes. Mm. And it happened all very quickly because my boss at the time, who I'd worked for on and off for five years, and you know, I'd consider him to be you know a friend. I haven't seen him in a while, but you know, we get along very, very well. Yeah. And uh, he had taken, he'd had a bit of a lifestyle change, and he had decided to take over the management of a caravan park, he and his wife. You know, gave him more time with his wife, more time with the kids. Yep. Um, I gave him the biggest backyard in town. <laughs> and he continued to run the electrical business you know, out of a shed in the caravan park for a little while, probably six months or so. But, yep. you know, it'd be I'd be trying to get information out of him while he's mowing lawns. And it just wasn't yeah. working, you know, perfectly and his customers were starting to get a little bit frustrated which was the issue that was the main issue his customers were sort of calling me saying we can't get a hold of your boss yeah and so the the conversation happened you know not long after that where you know i sat down with him and and we decided that he was he was going to get out he was um out of the electrical he was going to focus his time on on this new lifestyle change which is you know which was great, you know. That's I was really um, respectful of, you know, his, cho- his choices and him being really open. But what it meant is he basically handed me a business, and mm. I was twenty. Uh, I was twenty-two. Yep. And he handed me all these. Cu- I didn't buy his business per se, but but his whole customer base 
knew me because I've been doing work for four or five years. And so suddenly I had this sort of, um, you know, business at the age of 22. And I, whilst I was good at what I did electrically, and I, I think I'm pretty switched on and I've got decent common sense, there's a whole next level to running a business that you don't know until you either get oh, yeah. taught or you get thrown into it. Yeah. And so I got thrown into to running a business and, um, yeah, here I am now. It's, that business is still going and I've now got other businesses. But Let, Let's um, talk about the transition there uh, because uh, I think this is important. There's a, a massive difference between doing, doing the do, so being an electrician that's out there actually doing the work, and uh, running the business in terms of finding the business, uh, resourcing the business, uh, managing the cash flows, doing the financials, uh, it's, a, it's a completely different exercise. I, I can imagine you would have gone from working hard during the day doing this stuff to suddenly having very few weekends and a lot of, lot of late nights um, keeping the thing rolling. Am I, am I right? Oh, it, uh, there's some funny stories. My... My wife and I are known for a few funny stories that we talk about when business first started. I, I still remember we had this tiny little two-bedroom home at the time. We'd been probably not long sort of moved in together. Yeah. And uh, our daughter, Grace, was about a uh, – by the time this all happened, she was probably two and a half, three years old. I was probably 23, 24 years old, something like that. Yeah. And – we had a two-bedroom home, so I, I was always trying to find somewhere to put this bloody old computer and, and see, they weren't little laptops back then. You know, I had this massive <laughs> computer that had this huge hard drive. and, and Floppy disks and all that sort of rubbish. Oh, yeah. yeah you know, it would sort of sit on the end of the dining room table until my wife would get sick of that, and then it would get moved into you know, the corner of the bedroom, and then that would get in the way. So I was always trying to move it around. And it was, uh, it was when... My, my wife fell pregnant with our, our second child, Hugh, that I had to move out of uh, – sorry, to take it back. We had moved into another house at this point. We had an extra bedroom, and I did go, yes, I finally got myself an office. I've got the, you know, the, the third bedroom in yeah. my office. Yeah. And then my wife fell pregnant. And um, when women fall pregnant, they very quickly go into that nesting, <laughs> nesting phase where yeah. no, nothing else in the entire world matters except getting that nursery right. <laughs> and right. so suddenly – my computer was in the hallway when I got home um, from work one day. <laughs> Subtle hint. Yes, yeah. So the only spot left in the house was uh, on top of the dryer in the laundry. <laughs> yeah, it was on top of the dryer where I had to put a towel down and my computer sat there in the laundry. But invariably, you know, there was washing to do of a night, which, ha- which happened to coincide with the same time that I'd be doing my invoicing. And so I'd be... <laughs> trying to work with a washing machine going, a dryer going, and, um, you know, we, we got it done. That's how it was back in the early days. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, probably a big difference now. And let, let's take us through the transition because what, what I uh, admire about you, Sam, is that uh, you, you put the big rocks in. And uh, from what I see, uh, you've got your lifestyle sorted. So you've obviously built the business to a point where it's not totally reliant on you and you've uh, involved others to give, give you back time to put into things that are important. Can you talk us through what, what your lifestyle currently looks like and how you've managed to get to that point? Yeah, look, I learned – I'm a fairly trusting guy and I, and I did learn at a, at a very sort of early age of my business. Whilst I wasn't successful in business, you know, in the early years, I, I still – you know, there was, a, there was a good Friday my wife and I 
still remember our, our daughter was quite young and, and we needed to go buy Easter eggs, you know, for, for Easter morning. And and we looked in the bank and we had $6 in the bank. Wow. And we thought, shit, I can't afford Easter eggs here. And my, we had to borrow some money off, off my wife's parents, which they were always a good helping hand in the early days. But my wife at the time was my uh, bookkeeper. Yeah. Now, she only lasted a few months. It was we either got divorced or, or I fired her. So, <laughs> so I, I fired her, and I, and I realised quite quickly that good um, yeah, in in order to to be good in business, you actually need to have some really good people around you, um, which was a bit foreign to how I'd sort of spent the conscious part of of my sort of youth growing up. You know, I was very independent. And I, if I needed something done, I did it myself, and yeah, and that was just how it was. Um, and when I got to that age, you know, in my mid twenties, trying to run business, I realised you actually can't do it all yourself. And and it was that was new to me. That wasn't something that came natural. So I, I eventually found a bookkeeper, and, and you know, I nearly died at, at the fact that I'd have to be paying out, you know, what was going to be a couple hundred bucks a week for someone to manage my books. Yeah. Um, but it very quickly started to pay dividends because it meant, well, back then. Um, you know, I could work a bit more because I wasn't having to worry about the books. Yeah, uh, and the cash flowing would be a lot better too in terms of yeah, the cash that's in the right. door. Yep. And and I guess that's just evolved and evolved and evolved over the last you know, probably fifteen years of business, where you know I've got really really good people around me now. I've got you know a great office manager. I've got um, great project managers. I've got you know great worker bees, great staff out in the field. Um, and it really frees me up to do the things that, A, I'm good at, but B, that I enjoy doing. Mm. Well, that's a pretty smart transition. Very few people get to that. And it comes back to what you mentioned before. It comes back to that element of trust and control. And uh, where, where did that sort of uh, trusting nature come from, do you think? Uh, it, it, I, I can tell you exactly where that came from. I I love my parents, but we, we had a... Uh, a very sort of disjointed um, bringing up. I, you know, I spent a lot of time walking out the front door for and not coming back for two or three days because I was frustrated at my parents. And, and I ended up, you know, leaning on my friends, my peers quite a lot through my adolescence and, and even into my sort of, you know, very late teens and, yeah. and up until I probably met my wife. I was spent a lot of time with my friends and with my friends' parents. So I just became a... a I don't know, just a very trusting person where I, I realised that there, there was a lot of people in the community that that weren't in it just for themselves. You know, there was there was a lot of help out there if you just went out and looked for it. And mm. and I guess that's just something that I've kept with me through life. I'm, I'm, I'm still very trusting and I'm, you know, if my son wants to go for a walk out the front door and walk around to his mate's house, you know, straight after school, I don't say why or how or what time you're going to be home. I, I say, yeah. go for it, mate. Like, yeah. Go learn a couple of life lessons, come back when you're ready. I think the real benefit of that, that sort of approach, because it's a, it's a similar approach that we adopt in our business as well, if you, if you give trust, then people uh, blossom because they don't feel like there's someone over their shoulder uh, going to criticise them or tell them what to do. And they actually yeah. step up and, and, and take responsibility and enjoy the responsibility that goes with that. Have you found the same thing? Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, this, I've got no no doubt there's been times in my life where I've probably tried to control certain environments too much and, and you know, the life lessons I've always learned is that I, 
probably didn't need to. You know, I got better results once I started using, you know, the all the brains in the room rather than, rather than just mine. So yeah, yeah. It's again, it's something that very few, a lot of people talk about it, but very few people do it, mate. And I, I guess what, what I've, and again, this is an outside observation, mate. So tell me if I'm off off the mark here. But what I've enjoyed about yourself, and it very, very again, I guess similar to my wife's on in my own journey. It's not about how much money you earn. It's about uh, getting clear on what your ideal lifestyle lifestyle looks like, and then generating enough income to give you the time to do the things that uh, you enjoy doing. Is, would I be right in saying that's been pretty much your underlying philosophy, or not? Yeah, I've I've always said, don't worry about your income, worry about your outcome. Yeah, it's that's so cold. Yeah, so. Uh, yeah, I'm not. I'm not wealthy by any stretch of the imagination. We, we're we're comfortable. You know, we make enough money through the businesses, and and uh, you know, we we've got a beautiful home, and and the kids get to go to good schools, and and we get to go on a holiday occasionally. You know, we get all those things that that probably from the outside in people would think that we're we're more than comfortable. But you know, we don't have a lot of money in the bank, but it doesn't sort of bother me. It doesn't doesn't worry me at all, you know, we're sort of happy and healthy mm. and, and that's that's what's most important to us. Just put some flesh around your <clears throat> lifestyle for the listeners, mate, because, uh, again, I, I admire people who make the time to enjoy the time, uh, which which I, I see you doing with your family and, and, and what you do. Can you sort of put a little bit of a, a colour around what your typical week might look like? Yeah, I'm not sure my, my weeks are atypical, but um, like if I think about you know, today so far, I I got up this morning and I, I made sure the kids were ready to school and then I quickly whizzed them down to the school um, and then I stopped by the office to go pick up some paperwork and I've come back home. I decided that um, I wanted to get a workout in this morning rather than leaving it till tonight, so I've, I've jumped in the gym. We've got a gym at home, which is one of the best changes we ever made because I, you don't have to find any there's no excuses for not going anymore. So I, I jumped in the gym for, for an hour before. Yeah. Um, now I'm sitting at home and, and I tend to do this similar kind of thing most Mondays. Um, you know, I, I don't sit in my office chair very often on, on a Monday. I sort of run around and, and I do work from home and I do a lot of my my kind of brainstorming stuff on Mondays and, and I do a lot of my podcasting on Mondays for my own podcast as well. Yeah. I just find it's a, it's a great great way to start the week. It's a good way to get my energy up and that's something I really enjoy. Uh, my evenings uh, are quite busy. I, I do coach basketball. I'm also the vice president of a basketball club and, and that comes with being a, a coordinator of about sort of 400 kids. Yeah, okay. So um, that takes up a lot of my, my time. I I probably overcommit to it. It's, it's the one part of my life I do – um, sometimes get a bit caught up in and I overcommit. Like I think I'm currently coaching four teams, which wow. um, that's, you know, most Sweet. nights of the week. And my son, well, all my son and my, my youngest, my son and my youngest daughter both play basketball. My eldest daughter, she gave it up a couple of years ago. She might make a comeback. She's just turned 18 and she's off to uni shortly. So, um, you know, with the stresses of, of year 11 and 12, she sort of walked away from basketball. But I think, you know, that might come back round. And my wife and I both still play as well, if you can call it that. We sort of shuffle up and down the court. But um, <laughs> You're too humble, mate. You're, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm still shuffling around the hockey field too, mate. At, uh, 
I'll be 60 next year and uh, I'm still out there doing it because I just love the camaraderie of being out there with a bunch of guys and having some fun and keeping fit. Yeah, so then I guess yeah, a lot of nights I, I spend involved in the basketball club and, and that's something I, I do really enjoy. I, um, you know, I, it's, a, it's, it's sort of my way of giving back to the community um, but I also really enjoy working with, with kids and, and uh, you know, just teaching them because for me it's not just about the basketball, it's, it's learning how to be in a team, it's learning how to win, it's learning how to lose, it's um, you know, learning how to hold your chin high, you know, at all times, and so I, I, you know, I try and do a lot of that with the kids, yeah. and it's something that really sort of fills my cup. Uh, but I guess as far as the rest of my week goes, Tuesday through Friday, you know, I'm, I'm not dissimilar to to a lot of people. I do have to get some shit done in the office, um, <laughs> but I'm but I'm pretty flexible. I probably drop the kids off uh, two or three times a week. I'll probably pick them up two or three times a week. My wife and I sort of share that half half. Yeah, um, we are lucky. My wife is a school teacher, so her hours are similar to that of what the kids' school hours are, yeah. although there's a bit of a myth around that. I think people I do think that school teachers knock off at 3.30, which is not the case. No. Um, but um, so we sort of share that 50-50 and, and, yeah, my wife and I are both active people, so we, we are both committed to making sure we get an hour of exercise in every day, no matter what. Awesome. Um, so awesome. that that happens. Yeah. And look, I'm sure it's at the detriment of, of some things I'm meant to be getting done from a work point of view. Like, you know, God forbid a quote was due this morning that I'm not going to get in till tonight. But, you know, if, if that's the case, then it means that I'm getting to drop my kids at school or I'm able to get my exercise in. You know, it doesn't really bother me. That was just a, a change of mindset a long time ago for me. Yeah, but that's an important mindset change, though, Sam, because uh, you're thinking about the long term, not the immediate. And what, what I see constantly in this day and age, given the time pressures and the iPhone, uh, everything, instant world that we live in, people will chase the urgent rather than focus on the important. And what I admire about yourself is that you know you, you've got the eye on the on the long game. So you're you're looking after your health now at that 38. That'll, that'll mean you'll be able to keep doing what you're doing until you're into your 70s and 80s, mate. Whereas yeah. most people uh, turn their back on that and they go for broke on on the urgent here and now. They don't spend time with family. They they don't spend time looking after their own health and wonder why it all falls to bits. So um, where, did that, where did that sort of uh, flick come from? That, that, uh, you said yeah, I'd made a decision a long time ago. What, what helped you make that decision and why did you do that? Um, I don't think I needed any help making the decision because I'm pretty stubborn. But <laughs> uh, why did it happen? Oh, I mean, becoming a parent... You know, changes everyone. It, that's not. Uh, I'll say that as a blanket, blanket, blanket statement. You know, it's it just changes your perspective on life. And and I know a lot of people still get caught up in having to work, um, and work sort of controlling their life and their parent. And that's fine. I'm not judging anyone. But for me, I just wasn't prepared to to have that kind of consequence in my life. I sort of thought, no, no, no. I I want to make sure that I'm there for my kids and. And what I will say, and I still remember, I still remember the first time I did this. It was going back probably a solid ten years ago. My my eldest daughter was in primary school, and I remember going down to a, a school sports, you know, basically just walking away from work one morning to go down and watch watch my daughter at school sports at the local athletics track, and and I was 
young in business. I was still trying to impress clients. And I still remember um, at that age, you know, you, you, you sort of, you have a little bit of a lack of confidence because you're, you're going into meetings as a 25-year-old with people who are 40 or 50 years yeah. old and, and yeah. you can sort of feel yeah. rightly or wrongly that they're maybe judging you. And and, yeah. and so you're trying to have this persona of being a, a 40-year-old when you're 25. <laughs> and, yeah. and I still remember at school sports, you know, the, the phone would ring and I'd run away from the from the athletics track, try and get 200 metres away so I could answer the phone and I'd pretend to be and I'd be like, oh, Look, Leah, I'm sorry I didn't call you back. I've been really busy with meetings. I've been really busy because you didn't want to tell people that you yeah. were neglecting them because you're at your kids' school sports. And I, I remember that the one time I was just like, oh, I'm done with the charade. I'm done with it. And all of a sudden, I started telling people, you know what? I'll get that quote to you later on. I'm a bit tied up at the minute. I'm measuring, you know, long jump at the school um, school sports, and I, I won't be back in the office for some hours. And suddenly people would be like, oh, that's amazing. Oh, how are the kids going? Exactly. Like there was, none of this, there was none of this judgment. There was none of this like you're prioritizing long jump over a quote. I've got to have him. They're like, oh, that's really, really good. You know what? When you get back to the office, just keep me posted on, on how far away it is. And, and suddenly it was just this big shift in life where, A, it was this weight off my shoulders because I wasn't trying to be an imposter. But suddenly the, my relationships with my customers were ten times better. Because suddenly they would tell me about their kids as well. And and it just became – work just became easier. It didn't feel like I was, you know, this work monster. It just felt like I was Sam Buckby and the difference was instead of being at home talking to someone, I was in my office talking to someone. But it was the same thing. Yeah, and I, I, what I love about that, mate, is, uh, you know, the, the Australian psyche, we can smell bullshit at, at 100 miles. And if, if you were standing there on the, on the edge of the, the track – Couple hundred meters away, that they know where you are. Uh, yes. If if you you get to the level of comfort of going, well, this is where I am. This is what I'm doing. Two things happen. One, they respect your honesty, and two, they're actually starting to get involved in in you as a person beyond the work and the relationship strength that comes out of that. Uh, I'm sure that's contributed to the successful business that you built, mate. One would hope. Yeah, I would have have no doubt because again, there are no many, not many people who have the courage to go right. Well, this is how it is. This is who I am. This is how I live. Uh, I, I want to help you, but but it, it needs to needs to fit in. Uh, most people will totally respect that, mate, and uh, you'll get more kudos from having that uh, honesty than than trying to cover it up. So, you yeah. know, love that, mate. Love that. So. You, uh, Mate, um, a slight shift because what I've noticed in the 20-odd years I've been helping people in the uh, investment arena, I find that most Aussies re- invest in their work or their career and they focus on income. But I've seen that those that achieve uh, freedom also invest in growth assets that replace their active work income with more passive income. Uh, what, if any, growth assets have you or will you be investing in to sustain uh, the lifestyle you enjoy long-term? Uh, so I, I, I guess I could be doing a lot more. I'm sure that's fairly a fairly standard answer for you. But um, my biggest asset right now is my people. So if I've got good people around me that you know, I'm having to invest in um, and to make sure that uh, – that the business keeps running, you know, that's certainly my priority to make sure I'm investing in the right people. Yeah. But 
I mean, I, I do invest in systems for the business as well to make sure that because that's been such a, you know, there wouldn't have been as many changes to operating systems of businesses in the last sort of 100 years as it has been in the last 10. Yeah, it's totally. It's it's just moved so quickly and and there is if you're ready to embrace it they're amazing. You know the the level of of automation and the level of um flexibility as well that you can get out of you know whatever your business operating system is these days um can really free you up and make sure that there is you know, the business sort of keeps ticking. You have a facade of a 24-hour business even though you're only in there for two. You know, it's yeah. it's it, it does work. So I guess, you know, people and, people and systems on a, on a really sort of basic um, point of view. But I guess, you know, I am building a, a new business at the minute, which I won't sort of – it's still in the, in the mind mapping stage and hopefully it's only a few months away. Okay. But that will be um, – that will be a, a heavily online-based business that basically it, it sells itself. You know, there's there's products and services that are there and they're available. And if somebody wants to get on and invest into something I'm selling, they can do it at midnight. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Because you know, yeah, the system's there. But yeah. but look, there's there's some people around the world that have been doing this amazingly for the last ten years. You know, I'm, I'm certainly. I'm very envious of them. I'm, I'm no expert, and uh, I'm, I'm happy to to join the the money making party. Um. <laughs> Mate, what, what about? Uh, I mean, you're up to your eyeballs in property uh, with your business every day of the week. Where, where does property fit into the equation? As a, a apart from a home that you live in, and and that'll that'll increase in value over time, is, is property something you would um, consider investing in at any stage? Yeah, it's been on my agenda for a long time. Now we've got our own home, um, which we, we own and we love, and we've invested into our home quite a bit. We, we bought this kind of little Californian bungalow, um, single-fronted thing uh, quite a few years ago now. I can't remember what year it was, maybe 2007, yeah. I think. Yep. And we paid 300 grand for it, and it was it needed a lot of work. Now... We've done a full renovation. We've done all the landscaping. We've put the pool in. I've got a gym out the back. And, and I guess I've kind of invested a lot of time and money into our own home over yeah. the last yeah. um, 10 or so years, yeah. um, knowing basically that you know, any money spent on this place is is good money. Like yeah. yeah. We're, we're not going to lo- lose anything here. Yeah. I have all – like I, I've nearly bought – I reckon I've nearly bought 20 investment properties and <laughs> – Never bought one. Let, let's um, talk about that. What what what's held you back from doing it, mate? Um, oh, sometimes it, it's it's the the process. Like it's it's not like buying a new TV where you walk into the appliance store and say, "I'll take that one," and you hand your credit card over and you walk away. Like it's yeah. it's obviously there's a bit of a bit of a longer journey to buying a home, and yeah, and I guess. That I just haven't been able to stick that journey through a couple of times. Which yeah, is, yeah, or, or find the time to make it happen. Given it does, yeah, does take some time. Yeah, yeah. So, so two questions there. Why were you thinking about getting an investment property to start? Well, let's 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 start with that. Why, if you've nearly done it twenty times, what's what's motivating you to consider property as something to stick your money into? I definitely see the value in property. I, I, I like that. You know, with a with a bit of research and a, and a smart buy, it's a very very safe investment. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a semi-conservative 
person. I, I don't mind taking small risks, um, but when it comes to big investments, you know, I'm, I've never sort of looked at the stock market and thought I really want to get into that. You know, it's just something I've never thought. I don't want to learn enough and, and take that kind of risk. I thought I, I would much rather get into property and, and I can drive past my I can drive past my investment investment and I can see it. It's a real thing. Um, so, and I've always worked in the industry. I've got a, a great appreciation of, of buildings in general, and I've got a real love for for you know what they give to us. And and so, property will definitely be part of my investment portfolio going forward. As soon as I pull my finger out of my ass. Well, it, it's. I mean, but let's look at the journey. Uh, you're building a business which is creating income, which has funded the home. And you've put money into the home because you've got kids that you, you you're supporting. You'll reach a stage where the kids are probably almost getting there now, where they they'll start to be heading somewhere else, doing something else, and that'll that'll free up income and free up time, which which then positions you to be able to to build a, a property portfolio that'll sustain your uh, income uh, when you decide that you're either going to sell a business or transition out of the business. So you know, I, I think. Whether it's been by design or or, or default, you, there's sort of been an underlying strategy flowing through that anyway, mate. Would I be right? Yeah. the The dangerous trend for me is I still remember, you know, when I was probably, I think we bought our home when I was, how old would have I been? You know, probably twenty six, something like that, when we bought our our home. So I was young enough that you know I wasn't wasn't feeling like I'd missed the boat. Yeah. And then I got to my early thirties, and business had turned around it, it certainly wasn't you know I wasn't flying but business turned around and it was sustainable and and there was money coming into the bank every week rather than you know yeah. sort of writing every invoice um and I remember thinking as an early 30 year old oh, I really should start to invest into the future and, and get some property but you know at the same time like ah, oh, I'm only 30 there's plenty of time and then I think I had the same thought when I was 35 and I think right now I'm sitting having that same thought now I'm 38 so it's uh, you know, what's that saying? The, there's never a better time than, than today or something like that. And, um, yeah, the best time to invest was 20 years ago, the second best times today. Yeah, yeah that's, correct. That's the one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, so it's... whilst I go, I'm only 38, I'm only 38, um, you know, the last the last eight or nine years has gone pretty quick. So I'll only be 47 in eight or nine years. And... <laughs> <laughs> and that, that's that's the funny thing, because I, I, I wax lyrical about this all the time, Sam, because t- time is the most important ingredient in terms of building wealth through property. And uh, the ones who are able to put themselves in a position to start early, just let Tom, the tenant and the tax man, do the heavy lifting. And uh, on the other end of the scale, I, I meet those that have what I call no shit moment in their mid mid fifties and go, Oh shit, I'm five years away from retiring. Super's not going to even touch the sides. What am I going to do? Mm. So, uh, yeah, so, but, but it's, uh, not unusual, mate. Uh, that, that thought, well, I've got plenty of time. I'll get around to it when I've got time. And, mm. uh, all of a sudden <laughs> the time starts to run through the hourglass. So, uh, no, all good, mate. No, that's good. Yeah, so when you're, when your firstborn turns 18, you start to think, Oh, hang on. What happened yeah. there? Where did time go? Yeah, doesn't it? You're absolutely dead right there, mate. No, that's good, mate. Well, a couple of things that I'd, I'd like to delve into a little bit. Uh, I know they're important things to you, and I'm sort of putting on my old architect's hat here because uh, I've got a, a, you know, I've still got a, a lifelong interest in good design. 
And I know that with smarter, with your smarter buildings business and the way you're sort of utilising, uh, you know, automation and technology to improve lifestyle, uh, can you give us a, a bit of a chat about that and, and some of the things that uh, some of the listeners might be able to take advantage of that, you know, is ultimately going to put them in a position where they're, they're trying to save time everywhere else but home and uh, with what you're doing in that space, uh, being able to save time, money and stress by having your home pretty much drive itself uh, has has got to be a, a major lifestyle benefit. Yeah, look, what I found some some years ago, five, six years ago, when I wasn't doing a lot of consultancy work, you know, I was running the electrical business, so I was finding we were going into buildings um, when when budgets were set, designs were set, you know, it was a it was basically whatever was on that drawing was going to happen in, in the building. You know, it was just a matter of all the, the contractors getting it done. Mm. And for a lot of the people who are investing in these buildings, be it, you know, homeowners or be it um, property investors or or in commercial residences, you know, business owners and, and whatnot, the, the building would get built and then they'd walk in and they'd go, shit, this doesn't work how I wanted it to work or, Jesus, this is a hard building. You know, that there'd nearly be a full-time job for someone to micromanage these buildings. Yeah. You know, and, and when it's a home, you're not about to employ someone to do that. That's your own time. So all of a sudden, you know, you're having to make sure that, you know, you're shutting doors so dust doesn't get through. You're having to, you know, open windows and, and shut blinds before you go to work in the morning because you know it's going to be a hot day and then you come home at night and you have to reverse all that. Or, mm-hmm. you know, you might get halfway halfway down the road on the way to work and you're like, shit, did I lock the back door? Did I turn the security system on? Did I do any of this stuff? And, you know, the, the place, and if we speak about homes, you know, the place that was meant to be giving us the most solace, that place that we were meant to be able to relax was just giving us stress. Yeah. And there was just so many solutions um, to, to having all this looked after. You don't need to worry about this stuff. Like it's 2020, even back when I was started to have this kind of train of thought, you know, back in 2015, a lot of this technology was there then. Whilst it was a bit more clunky back then, it was mm. there. Mm. And for by the time, as an electrical contractor, I'd, I'd speak to people and it would just be too late. The, you know, the, the building would be half built and they, there was no more money in the budget and there was no more time to get this stuff done and, and there was no flexibility in design at that point. So the building would just get done and they'd just have to suck it up and just deal with it. And even though you know, there was so many easy solutions out there for them, um, it was just too hard, too late. And I thought, you know what, I, I just would have this wave of guilt that we weren't able to deliver on, on what you know, I thought the potential of these buildings could be. Mm. But I'd also have the pain because, you know, these people would be coming to me for six, 12, two years afterwards going, shit, how do we fix this? Can we do something here? And the whole time I'm thinking to myself, I bloody saw this coming. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I thought I need to change it. I need to flip this around. And, and don't get me wrong, um, you know, architects, building designers, they're, they're my best friends in business. <laughs> But, <laughs> mate, it's all right. Yeah, I'm, I'm an ex-architect, mate, and and no one ever referred to me as architect. It was always effing architect, because yeah, well, <laughs> there's just a lot of uh, a lot of emphasis goes into size, shape, and aesthetics. Yeah, and not enough thought goes into how that building can work. Totally. And yeah. that was something that I knew. Some I knew felt I knew a lot about. I you know, size, shape, and aesthetics. You know, I'm. I'm disabled. I don't know what colours are good with what colours. I don't, I'm hopeless. But um, 
how the building works was something that I could see. It was just, you know, I could I could look at a piece of paper with a drawing of a building and go, here's an issue. There's going to be no airflow. Here's an issue with, you know, the convection of heat. Here's, yeah. Yeah. And I thought I, I just need to sort of now merge, you know, my, my knowledge of how a building works with my background of, of technology and, and construction and be able to deliver a sort of solutions-based design to help these buildings to achieve um, you know what it is that they really should be achieving in this in this day and age. Mm. So, so how are you, how are you doing that, mate? Because I, I mean, I one hundred percent right behind you there. I think uh, it is when a when an architect's sitting isolated on on his CAD machine, whacking lines on the page, uh, he, he is thinking about the sculptural bit because that might win him an award in the next uh, awards next year. But uh, in terms of the functionality and the actual uh, livability of the space uh, often quite different so what are you doing now to that 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 thinking that you've got around the real usability and the in the efficiency of using that space uh, using technology as the enabler to do that uh, how are you sort of getting yourself involved to both educate those decision makers and and make much better homes as a result uh look the industry still needs a bit of a shake-up because whilst the technology and the thinking's down there, now there, the, the process probably hasn't changed um, enough, mm. whereas people will still go to an architect, get a building drawn up, yeah. then go to a builder, get a quote. They're locked into, you know, yeah. having... Fixed price, you know, yeah. Then, then they go to the bank and they go, we need $600,000 to build this place, so they get their $600,000. Yeah. And then they sign a contract with the builder and then, the, you know, it's all contracted and, and it just gets done and... and it, this point, depending on the, the size and the and the kind of you know uh, level of the project, maybe the architect's involved during the build, maybe not. Mm. But that's typically they're the only stakeholders at the top end of the tree. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so I guess you know we're still trying to barge our way into that environment. Where um, mm. you know, unfortunately, it happens on the back of bad projects sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. where either the architect or the builder or the person who's, you know, building, you know, investing in that property got it wrong the first time and, and we catch them on the second time. Um, and same goes for the other stakeholders. So it's probably not there. It's it's probably not there just yet that, that there's a need to think about it. I mean, commercially, most prop, uh, projects will have an architect and then they will have a team behind that, which will include, you know, an electrical engineer and hydraulics engineer, these people who specialise in those fields, but there's probably still not that one person who's there going right. How's this building actually work? Mm, no, how do the right. hydraulics? How do the hydraulics coordinate with the electricals, and how does that coordinate with the with the air conditioning and mechanical services? And then how does that affect this whole building as a structure? Mm. Well, I think and, the, until the the clients are starting to demand it, the the, the system won't change. So I, I know you've written the the book Homes with a Heartbeat. Uh, if anyone out there is listening who who really wants to get their home to work for them, not them working for their home, uh, a great read. Uh, paint a picture. What I'd love you to do, mate, is paint a picture for me. Uh, so I'm an average punter, and I've I've taken on board everything that you've said, and I've incorporated that. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm really using technology and automation to uh, make my home tick. 
describe the experience for me because I think that mental picture, when people realise the capability is sitting there right under their nose and for a few dollars uh, and not much extra spent, uh, particularly if it's a new build, what life would look like. Can you, can you paint out that picture for us? Yeah, a good little analogy I use from time to time um, is I, I tell people to imagine coming home from work on a, on a Friday night and you know, they've had a stressful week at work and let's say this is a, a young couple, no kids, right? And uh, they're coming home to a home that they've, they've moved into just recently or a home maybe they've just built and their partner's not home yet so they're the first home on a Friday and they get to the front door and you know, maybe the flywire door is, is open. The door's still shut, but the flywire door's open, and they suddenly have this doubt about who's been at their house during the day for that flywire door to be open. <laughs> but all they have to do is they can, they can pull their phone out and they can look at the, you know, log into their home and they can see that, you know, there's been no sensors activated in the home all day. No, there has been no movement inside that house, and that's fact. So they're confident there's no one inside the home. So they can unlock and they can walk inside and they can feel comfortable and relaxed about it, mm. even though their partner or whoever it is isn't home yet. So there's just this sense of comfortability and, and safety, safety yeah. walking inside. <laughs> they get inside. It's Friday night um, and it's been a really hot day. You know, it's a hot climate. And, like, and that, some people hate this, you know, coming home that the house might be hot or in the middle of winter it might be bloody freezing cold. Yeah. But But because of the home's, you know, automated systems, it's been able to manage the climate of the home with no need for air conditioning or, or heating that's going to, you know, make big electricity bills. They've been able to regulate the control of sunlight getting in and out of the house through louvers and blinds. They've been able to regulate the amount of uh, cool air entering or hot air, you know, getting expelled through um, high and low windows opening. Yeah. And the house has just managed its climate all day um, for you to walk in and it's, you know, it's 21 degrees in there and it's, it's comfortable and it feels like it should. Yeah. They can then drop their keys, you know, on their on the on the hall table as they walk in, and they can on their phone just hit Friday night favourites, and the music will come on. You know, maybe maybe the blinds will close, maybe the lights will dim, and there'll be you know just this sense of I'm home. The weekend's about to start. They can sit down and they can pour themselves a glass of wine and enjoy their home rather than feeling burdened by it. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I love it, mate. I just think the the potential is enormous there, and I mean the easy bit is sticking into into new buildings. What about retrofitting, mate? How how difficult and expensive it is to to utilise that technology you're talking about in the existing homes? Do you know what? From a from a technology point of view, I wouldn't think there's too many inhibitors. It's it's that good these days. I mean, the majority of our buildings are existing. Like, sorry, the majority of projects are existing buildings. Uh, yeah. There are shitload of new builds going on. Yeah. But the technology has kind of moved. To the, the only, the only kind of um, inhibitor is that you, you're a bit limited by structural design. So, yeah. Yeah. and this is where, this is where I think that the environment needs to change because having a having an app on your phone that can open and close a blind, right? That's great. You can, but how does that actually help the house? Because if you think about the home like a like a, a person, it needs to breathe, it needs exposure to sunlight, and it needs to do it in certain ways. Mm. So opening and closing a blind on the south side of your house, you know, in the southern hemisphere, doesn't do anything. And it, it's more about being able to put maybe some external controllable louvers on to stop the sun actually hitting the window in the first place rather than, yeah. you know, it's a bit of a, a myth that, 
if you shut a blind, it keeps all the heat out because the sun radiates through the glass, hits the blind, and it can't get back out. Yeah. It's a different different heat, type of heat transfer. So yeah. suddenly the heat's in your home. It's just stuck behind the blind, and, yeah. and invariably it'll, it'll filter down to the living space at some point. Yeah. So having a bit more control about you know, having windows that open in the right spots of the house, having you know, on a hot day, being able to have a window automatically open on the on a shady side of the home, and and having a, a window a high in the building somewhere where you know cross through fire. convection, yeah, crossfire and convection, you know, heat can get out. Yep. When you've got an existing building, it's hard because suddenly you're cutting in new windows. You're doing all these things. It's not just technology. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. With a new build, provided you get onto it early enough, a lot of that stuff should be really Simple. Mm. Mm. So I've always used the automotive industry as a good, a good example because, um, you know, you can't tell me that when you go down and you buy a, a new Mercedes or a new BMW or one of these nice luxury cars that they've got, you know, one guy in the back corner of their shed thinking about the air conditioning systems and a completely separate guy down the front who's thinking about the safety systems and a completely se- like they're all working synonymously with each other yeah. to make sure that this vehicle you buy is an automated vehicle that is easy to use, that lets you know when something's wrong, lets you know when you're not safe, lets you know if your, your tyre pressure's down because that's going to affect your safety. Yeah. You know, it's got the auto climate control. The car just kind of works. It's a, it's a really all good all-in-one um, ecosystem, and mm. the home isn't there yet, but I reckon it could be. And mm. and not just homes, all buildings. And we're doing a lot of work in schools and office fit-outs because people spend a shitload of time away from their home. Yeah. And there's no reason that you should be unhealthy or feeling burdened by a building, you know, that's not your home as well. Yeah, 100%, mate. I, I mean, I'm a massive fan of uh, quality design. And uh, unfortunately, the building industry tends to be controlled by the the builders and, and designers are actually undervalued. Uh, so they're not really paid at a level where uh, they've got the time to put the, the right energy into getting the, the solutions because it's all driven by the dollar. Mm. And, uh, there needs to be a – I mean, I'll, I'll talk more about this to you offline rather than uh, wax lyrical about a soapbox that I've been banging for years. But uh, certainly uh, good quality design not only helps the livability of the home, but it, it, you can save bucket loads of money and running costs and there's just a, a heap that can be done without – it's a very simple exercise to get these things right, uh, but the, the psyche of the builders who, who tend to control industry needs to change, uh, and, and they need to be incentivised to incorporate that stuff so that it's in their benefit as well as the, the yep. ongoing running costs for the person who's ended up going to live in it. Mate, that's awesome. Mate, uh, I'm going to jump straight into what I call the ambush or the bushfire lightning round, which are just five quick questions that uh, the listeners always um, want to know of guests. And the first of those, mate, is what's your favourite quote and why? Oh, oh, I actually, I'm known for quotes. I tend to pull them out quite a lot just because it's a good way of pretending I'm intelligent. But <laughs> uh, I guess I've got a couple, if you don't mind, too. Yeah. I mean, one that I, one that I use in businesses a lot, a lot, is that leaders pull, bosses push, and so you know, I, I like to think that I'm kind of setting setting a good example for for any my team and, and then I'm not pushing them into something that I wouldn't be prepared to do myself. Yeah. So that's that's a bit of a work one that I use quite a bit. Love it. But then one that I use uh maybe not at work so much, but just in life, whether it's, you know, in my my sports coaching or even with my own kids, is that respect has to be earned. 
and and you know it, it's a two-way street you've got to you've got to be doing respectful things acting respectful and, and having respect for all those people around you in order to earn that you know get that come back at you so yeah that's mate it's a Unfortunately, something that's at risk these days, uh, there's a, a just an expectation of, of respect without without earning it. Unfortunately, uh, mm. so um, those those that do uh, really stand out, mate. Um, what about on the reading front? I mean, you've you've written a couple of books yourself, uh, so an accomplished author in that regard. But for the listeners, uh, what would you suggest would be the top book you'd recommend them read, and why? I am a big fan at the minute of, of audio books. I, I tend to do uh, a lot of audio books when I'm, I'm going on long drives or, or yeah. sometimes I do them in the gym as well. It's, and one that I listened to, which I, and I would willingly read this book, but just by chance this was one that I did via audio uh, a couple of years ago, recommended to me by a good friend, Glenn Carlson, who you know, was mm. a, a book called Stealing Fire. Um, the authors were Stephen Kotler and Jamie Wheel, and it's it's a mindset change book. So it's it's all about, in their terminology, achieving flow. Which um, to sort of dumb that down, it's it's about operating, you know, at your best. It's you know those times in your life when you feel you're you're unstoppable and you're on, you know you're, you're coming up with a new idea and you can't stop writing it down or you're at work and you just feel like you're in that absolute flow yeah it, it's a book uh, about how to achieve that which is basically being able to to really supercharge your focus and your energy and put them together um and it was just a really inspirational book and one that resonated well with me and, and one that you know i was able to to sort of make changes in my own life very very quickly based on so. Yeah, no, so I haven't read that one, mate. So that, that's going to the top of the list. I'm an absolute rabid reader. Mm. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely going to have a look at that. Uh, great suggestion. Mate, this one's a little bit left field, but it's something that Australians often comment about feeling that they pay too much tax. What's the top legal thing that you've done to minimise the tax that you pay, buddy? So, say that again. Sorry, Bushy. Yeah, mate, uh, a lot of Aussies... Uh, feel they pay too much tax. Yep. What's the top legal thing that you've done to minimise the tax that you pay? Oh, as I said earlier in the show, I put a lot of trust in the people around me to make the right decisions. And so I've got uh, good people, office managers, and I've got a good accountant. And I typically just nod my head when they come up with ideas is, is all it takes because I do trust them. Yeah. However, the one thing I have been doing in the last couple of years is just making extra uh, contributions to my super. Yeah. Um, you know, that's that's sort of helped um, with the legal stuff. I mean, I've got a whole range of tips on illegal stuff, but I probably shouldn't say them. <laughs> no, I'm only joking. No, I'm only joking. But <laughs> uh, getting back on the old investment uh, topic, what's the both the worst and the best piece of investment advice that you've ever received? Um, I did. It was some years ago my wife and I spoke to to someone about just making changes in our life, um, just trying to put a bit more structure in you know, where our money was going on, on a week-on-week basis. And it was – I'm sure it's a good idea, and there's a number of these businesses that, that do very well from giving this advice, but it just didn't work for us. You know, it was yeah. the whole um, – go to the bank, get $400 out in cash every, 
you know, Monday morning and then all you've got to spend is $400 every week and, and that includes paying this and it, and it was putting money into plastic pockets ready for that. I'm like, you've got to be shitting me. Like, <laughs> like that's going to happen um, not. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, the, the minute I can't afford to buy myself a coffee on the way to a meeting is the minute it's not worth getting up to go to work anymore. So, um, so the, the, and I'm not saying it was bad advice globally, just for us. Um, you know, we like to think that we can enjoy life and having having the constraints of, you know, $3.56 left to spend on a Friday morning, <laughs> I didn't see that as being great advice, yeah, for our, our own lifestyle. What about the best, mate? Let's flick, flick the switch to the, the other end. What's the best piece of investment advice you've ever received? Oh, um, I would say one of my best mates who is a couple of years older than me, but uh, we, we've known each other for since we were, you know, young teenagers. And his parents basically forced him into buying a house when he was eighteen. You know, they were taking money out of his bank. He left school young too, and and he was working. And they used to take money out of his out of his bank account and put it in a separate one, not by his choice. And I think by the time he was 19, he he bought a house. And we were all shocked by it. And this is a, a guy that's a bit of a lad and and you wouldn't have thought that the future was ever on his agenda. You know, it was it was more about how many beers you can get at the pub on a Friday night. <laughs> but I remember sitting down with him one day and he's like, he was just telling me, you know, all the advantages and, and how going forward and it was probably you know three or four years later when i had this conversation with him that you know the just the the amount of stability and and future proofing that comes with investing in your own you know your first home at a younger age um for for a whole number of reasons um and i that was a bit of an eye-opener for me at a very young age that you know I, i probably need to get into the to the housing market which you know a lot of a lot of people don't do until well it's not too late but you know, they've certainly missed a lot of the advantages they could have had in those first five or five or ten years of, of potentially being able to do so. Yeah, at a, at a time when they've got plenty of disposable income generally, so it's you know they haven't got kids and dirty nappies to to soak mm. up the extra. Yeah, no, it's that's a, a good thought, mate. But um, what's a personal habit that you feel contributes most to your success so far? Ooh. Um personal habit I think a personal habit would be making sure that I'm very flexible I I hate being boxed in uh, I explained that right at the start of the podcast when I you know got shown the door at, at school because it was very regimented. Yeah. So I, I like to think that I'm very flexible. And what that means is it means that I'm very accessible. It means that I'm I'm there for my wife, I'm there for my kids. Um and I've just got time in my life for all the things that are important rather than sort of you know, putting things at the top of the tree which which aren't. I, I can sort of move things around in my life. So um Mm. Is that sort of what you're asking? Yeah, no, it is. It is because it's it's uh, it's a, I've never heard it put that way, but but I I think you've summed it up pretty well. You know what's important, so you make time for them. But but it's not regimented. It's not stuck in the diary. If if something comes up, you have the ability to, to switch it around. But always with the eye in mind that 
at spending time with your good wife and, and the kids is, is, you know, paramount and the rest of it will pretty much sort itself out. Is that, yeah, it, it is. And yeah, there is some, some little rules that, you know, we've put in place as a, as a, as a married couple. And what are they, mate? Well, it was, you know, you, you can go out and have all the fun you want with your friends, but you always sleep in your own bed that night. So, you know, whether it's, <laughs> I might, you know, if you go off with some mates to the casino and, and you have a big night, then it doesn't matter what's happening in the world. Just, you know, we make sure we're home. And, and it's not because we don't trust each other. It's, it's so we're there for the kids in the morning or it's, it's just so the kids know that their parents are, are sleeping there. I mean, there are exceptions to that. You know, I will have to go away for work from time to time, but that's a bit different. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, and, and, you know, little things like making sure we, we exercise for at least one hour every day, um, making sure we, we eat well, making sure that we spend time with the kids, make sure we don't miss any important events. I, I can confidently say I've never, ever missed an important event in my kids' lives. Yeah, I'd say that that right there is uh, uh, great rules to live by, mate. And they're they're rules that you know they're, they're your non-negotiables that uh, uh, a reason why you're enjoying and 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 your family's prospering as a result of that. You, the relationship with your wife. Well, I don't mind, and, I, and I don't mind going to work because I because I know it, it it fits. I know you know everything fits. Yeah, exactly, exactly. That, that's exactly right. No, well done, mate. Um, a couple of final questions then. Uh, and let's. How, how old's your son? He's just about to leave school, is he? No, 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 no. Uh, my son is just about to turn twelve, so he's just in the okay. last primary school. He'll be off to high school next year. Righty, eh? And 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 you've got a couple of kids, haven't you, mate? Yeah. Uh, so Grace has just turned eighteen. Hugh is nearly twelve, and my. Baby girl Adelaide turned ten yesterday. Yeah, righty. Well, let, let's let's focus on the eighteen-year-old because she's probably uh, less school. If you were to turn to her and say, "What's her name?" Grace. Grace. If you say to Grace, um, uh, "You've had a good chat to her." What would you advise her to invest her time, money, and skills in to create her version of freedom? Um, yeah, I, I've always. For the last few years, anyway, I mean, it, it's a changing landscape now because she's an adult all of a sudden, and so those, some of the conversations are changing. But for the last few years, I've always told her to put a lot of time and effort into her friendship groups because, um, you know, something I learned at a very young age was that your parents, whilst they and, – and I accept this – whilst your parents want to be the biggest influence in your life, when you become a teenager, they stop being – and yeah. and your yeah. peers start to, yeah. And so, as much as that hurts a lot of parents to hear, it's it's the truth. Um, it's the truth, yeah. And so I've always wanted her to make great decisions around how she treats her friends because that's how her friends will treat her, and that's going to be just her security net for first. You know, you're so vulnerable between the age of fifteen and twenty five, and there's a lot of things that you're not prepared to go to your parents about. So you've got to make sure that you've got this really great. Um, network of friends that you know that you can just trust and talk to and 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 that's what I that's been all basically all my advice. I'm not about to advise her on how to do well at school because I can't. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that was what I said. And, and now that she's an adult, I'm I'm starting to to give her some some advice on on how she should be probably thinking about the future with her money that she's, you know, she's now working a bit and, and she's going to have, you know, a lot of uni years ahead of her. She wants to be a vet. So there's going to be a, a bit of a long process there before she's earning a really good income. So, yeah. you know, just managing that. But it's it's really 
brand new conversations as opposed to you know me just making sure that she's a nice person. Yeah, and I, I think you you hit on. And I, I, it's funny you, you should say what you said around the importance of a friendship groups because I've uh, I've been saying for some time now that be very careful of your children's peers. Mm. They are the group that will decide their opinions, attitudes, and outlooks on life. It, it won't be mum and dad. Uh, so you try and steer that in a way that they're surrounding themselves with you know, quality people, because if they end up in the wrong group, uh, it can turn to shit very quickly. Couldn't so, agree more. So well, no, it's very sage advice there, mate. Um, mate, uh, last big question. Uh, if I gave you a microphone that spoke to every one of the 7.7 billion people in the world and I gave you just one minute to talk, what would you say? Hmm. I guess I'd want to share my feelings on how important every minute of our life is and how, you know, as much as we, we don't want to hear it, our life is a is a, a timer that's counting down to, to some point where it is going to end and and that every decision we make is, is something that is, is, is a decision we're proud of. Um, and that this comes down to being, you know, the best family person you can. It comes down to being the best husband or wife you can. Uh, it comes down to making sure that that if you're going to be going to work for, you know, 40, 50 hours every week, that you're working towards something that you're proud of. You're working towards something that you think is is making change and, and benefiting not just yourself and your family but maybe the world um, because if we can all start to be a bit more open-minded and, and think about you know the the rest of the rest of human life, not just our human life, and, and what we can work towards. I think, um, or I know, that we're all going to be more compassionate. Um, we're going to show more respect, and we're going to achieve some pretty amazing things as a human race. Yeah, no, well said, mate. Absolutely well said. Great place to bring it to a close, mate. You've been extremely generous with your time again, as as you always are, mate. But uh, for the listeners there who have pricked their ears up to what you're doing in the smart building space, uh, uh, we've talked about your book, um, Homes with a Heartbeat, uh, which they can grab a hold of. But what's what's next new and exciting for you, mate? You mentioned there's an online business coming up. Can you talk about that yet, or is it a little bit premature? Oh, I can talk about it loosely, yeah. So it's, it's basically just an extension. For me, there's been a little bit of a pivot from, from Smarter Buildings. Smarter Buildings has been around for four or five years. It's been a, a heavily um, techni- technology-based sort of pitch at sort of supercharging buildings to make them you know, more automated, more functional. I guess what I've, I've found a bit is people don't want automation and functionality. Like that's not two things that people are striving for. Mm. Yeah, you, can't, you can't sell that. Mm. Um, and just... You know, in light of changes in my own life, um, you know, being being healthy, um, being happy, being more well uh, are things that you know I'm working towards every day. And so now merging that into my my business life, I guess that's where the, the new business will be will be looking at not so much homes, but looking at the, the times where we spend you know, the the spaces where we spend a lot of our time away from home. So you know, our offices or or you know, our kids' schools or all these places is that making these places as healthy and well and making these places uh, help people to be as happy as possible by way of technology. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, using scent, using sound, um, 
clean air, good light, all these things that that really uh, are the most important things, you know, making us making us healthy. Because, I mean, if we don't have our health, what have we got? So. Yeah, exactly right, mate. No, it really – and I and encourage the listeners, if you've sort of got an interest in that area, area to jump on uh, Sam's Spaces podcast. Uh, it's been running for about 12 months now, so there's some yep. great, great guests there, uh, some really good listens. So uh, please do that, mate. Uh, apart from that, how can listeners contact you if they want to um, follow through on what we've talked about today? Yeah, for sure. The easiest way, you can head to uh, the Smarter Buildings website, www.smarterbuildings.com.au, reach out to me there, or um, obviously I've still got the, the electrical business, which you know I'm, I'm spending a fair bit of time as well, which is www.buckbeelectrical.com.au. Or you know a whole range of other social platforms you'll find me on as well. Awesome, mate! Uh, I uh, love your brekkie post. I'm a, I'm, I'm a love my breakfast, mate. And I uh, some of the reviews that you you've been doing over time there are always worth a look, mate. Uh, love always love talking to you, mate. Uh, uh, thanks for uh, being so generous with your time, and uh, look forward to staying in touch, mate. Too easy, Bushy. Thanks, mate. Cheers. Thanks, mate. Well, freedom fighters, how good was that? To get a summary of all this investment gold in the show notes, just email me on hello at khgroup.com.au. That's H-E-L-L-O at khgroup.com.au. Or check us out at www.bushymartin.com.au forward slash get invested. I look forward to joining you next week for another episode of the Get Invested podcast. So thanks for listening. And as always, dream as if you live forever and live as if you'll die tomorrow.